All right, good morning, everyone. Nice to see you all. Right. Well, we are continuing in Luke's gospel. We're in Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42, as Chris mentioned, looking at the account of Mary and Martha, very familiar passage. If you have the Pew Bibles, that is on page 869. And if you have a regular paper Bible and you want to put a bookmark in Acts chapter 4, uh, we'll, be, we'll be going there a little bit later, kind of near the end, so we'll prepare for that. But the title of the message this morning is, I change it from unnecessary discipleship posture to the necessary discipleship posture. I think that's what I originally had in mind. I'm the one who printed the worship guide, so it's my mistake, <laughs> but... You can cross off a uh, and put the, the necessary discipleship posture. Well, I don't know about you, but I have a love-hate relationship with personality tests and personality profile things. I see some, I see some nods out there. Uh, generally, I'm the person that says, don't put me in a box, right? Don't give me these four quadrants and say, this is how I am at all times, in all places, in all situations. Uh, Occasionally, I can see the wisdom in some of those things, and I think there's been some benefits. Uh, I'll just say right up front, I'm not a Myers-Briggs fan. Uh, sorry, Myers-Briggs fans out there, but that's not my cup of tea. Uh, I had to do that in some like team situations and just was kind of like, whatever. Don't tell me what you think about me. <laughs> but anyways, this is, those are my own issues. Um, but I do like the, uh, the four temperament theory, uh, which goes kind of way back to Greek philosophy. You've probably heard this one before. It's the sanguine, choleric, melancholic, and phlegmatic. Uh, we went through some cross-cultural training and we looked at those different um, personality types. And I think why I like that is because it acknowledges a lot of overlap. Like you're a little bit of this and you're a little bit of that. In this situation, you're like this. And in this situation, you're, you're more like this. Sometimes you're like both of these. Um, so it acknowledges the complexity, right, of, of who we are. It acknowledges the tension that we feel. Maybe like in one situation, you might feel like a little bit like this and a little bit like that, and you're kind of torn between those two. Uh, that, that, one, that one I think is helpful. Uh, the DISC profile, some of you might have done before, like for, for a job. Um, it's, a, a, again, kind of a, more of like a team and, and business type assessment. Uh, we actually, when we went through the church planting assessment through the PCA, we had to do the DISC profile. And uh, the D in DISC stands for dominance, uh, and the C stands for conscientiousness. Uh, and I felt like when I did that, those two were pitted against each other, and most of my answers were in the C category, conscientiousness, because I'm very just like detail-oriented, and I scored super low on the dominance, which was like, pretty inaccurate in a lot of ways because I'm very competitive and there's all these things I'm looking at. I'm like, well, this is me too, but like I mostly chose the C things because I'm more of that, you know? So I'm looking at the results going like, this isn't really very accurate, right? And again, it's that tension that we see. It's that tension that we see when people are trying to say, well, you're like this, you're like that. And I think in our Mary and Martha account that we come to today, we're going to see a little bit of this. We're going to see some of this tension of different 
personality types. And I mention all of this, not because the Mary and Martha account ultimately is just about two different personality types. I think we read it that way oftentimes, but I think we're actually missing the point of the passage if that's how we come away from it. Uh, it's not just about two different types of people, one person that we should seek to emulate and another pe person that we should not seek to emulate. Again, that is kind of missing the point. We're not confronted with two choices, either be a Mary or be a Martha. Instead, I believe that we are, when we see this, we realize in a sense that we are Mary and Martha at the same time, right? We feel this tension. We are the person who is torn between these two extremes. And we should, I think even in our walk with the Lord, we should feel this tension as we look at this passage and get into these details. The truth is, we all get anxious and troubled and distracted by an achievement-oriented and results-driven view of the Christian life, and it sucks the life out of us. And rather than working for God out of an overflow of our growing intimate relationship with Jesus, we kill ourselves spiritually by staying in the hamster wheel because we don't know any other way. Here's my main idea this morning. If you're taking notes, the necessary discipleship posture is one of active and faithful service to God and neighbor that is fueled by a still and teachable heart. I'll repeat that again. The necessary discipleship posture is one of active and faithful service to God and neighbor that is fueled by a still and teachable heart. If you don't wanna write all of that down and you wanna simplify it, I like what Philip Ryken said in his commentary, kind of the last section in his application. He said, doing Martha's work with Mary's heart. I think that's a great summary of this passage and what we're ultimately, what I'm hoping we'll take away from this. Doing Martha's work with Mary's heart. Very simple easy to remember, and I think that's kind of what we're supposed to get out of this. So I already spoiled the, what it's about, but there we go. Let's read the text. Uh, Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. Please pay attention to the reading of God's holy word. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, as we come this morning to your word, we need this reminder. We need to see what it looks like to do Martha's work with Mary's heart. God, we need to be still before you. We need to hear from your word. We need to sit 
at the feet of Jesus. Lord, we ask that you would meet with us this morning, that you would speak your word to us, and that by the power of your Holy Spirit, our ears would be open, our hearts and our minds would be open to receive from you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we're going through the book of Luke here, the context, again, is just always important to remember where we're at. Um, we're in this section now of Jesus journeying to Jerusalem since chapter 9, verse 51. Last week, we looked at the Good Samaritan, the Good Samaritan who went out of his way at great personal cost, who was lauded by Jesus. We go from that to now Martha being busy and anxious and troubled, and it seems like an abrupt transition from the focus on do, right? We saw it four times in the last passage, do, 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 now to be, right? It's on not doing. It's on being still. But again, we need to read this carefully. This is not a negation of what Jesus just taught to the lawyer, right? The verse right before this, you go and do likewise. Now, this isn't coming back and saying, well, that it's not, you know, don't go and do likewise, just sit here, right? That's, we have to be careful how we, how we read this. This passage is not a rebuke of go-getters. It's not for the extroverts among us to say, you just need to sit down and be still. And it's not a praise of the contemplative types that's saying you're doing everything right by just being introverted and staying away from people. Again, we must not boil this down to a battle between two personality types. We have to dig deeper than that and see what's really going on here. An oversimplification of this is Mary types should go live in monasteries and be monks. Martha types should go out into the mission field and reach the world for Jesus, right? That's a gross oversimplification. Again, this is not just boiling it down to to temperament and personality. It's understanding what Jesus wants from us as his followers. So let's dive into this passage and let's take a little deeper look at what's going on here. Pretty short, only five verses, begins here in verse 38 with the scene as Jesus and his disciples, they're on their way to Jerusalem. They stop off in Bethany, the village isn't mentioned here, but we know from other passages that Mary and, and her sister Martha and their brother Lazarus lived uh, in Bethany, uh, we see more of a longer account in the raising of Lazarus in John chapter 11. But here we're not given a ton of details. Uh, we're not even sure actually who is there for this meal, uh, assuming that, that Martha is here preparing this meal uh, for Jesus. We don't know if it's just Jesus. It actually changes from the plural, they went on their way, and, but then to the singular of Jesus enters the village. So we're not even told if the disciples are with him. And it doesn't really ultimately matter, but either way, uh, Jesus for sure goes into Martha's house, and we're given this brief snapshot of this encounter between Jesus and Mary and Martha. Uh, we only see four sentences spoken. Now, clearly, this isn't all that happened, right, in this encounter. There's a lot that happened, but we, we know from reading Scripture, we're not always given every single detail of every account that happened. We if we had every detail of all of Jesus' three years of public ministry, it would take us forever just to read through the Gospels, right? Um, so we're given just this little snapshot of this encounter in this home. But before we get to the speaking parts, uh, we see this 
sibling rivalry playing itself out between the still sister, right, Mary, who's, who's sitting there, and the serving sister, Martha. We see this play out in verses 39 and 40. Now, I want us to notice the difference. That's why I say the necessary discipleship posture. I want us to notice the different physical postures of the two sisters. What do we see with the still sister? Well, we see Mary here in verse 39, sitting at the Lord's feet, listening to his teaching. We're actually not told anything about what she is thinking or what she is feeling. She doesn't speak here because she is busy listening. She's actually not passive. She's not doing nothing. She's actually very actively engaged listening to Jesus' teaching. She is actively engaged in Christian discipleship as she is sitting at the feet of the master listening to his word. What do we see then in contrast with the serving sister? Martha, we're told, was distracted with much serving. Her problem is not actually not that she was serving Jesus. That is a good thing. But she was distracted by her serving. That's the emphasis here. This word for distracted means to be overburdened. It means to be pulled away from a reference point. Earlier this week, I was in the car with Lily and Cademan. I asked Lily's permission to share this story. Uh, I know I shared a story recently of her driving. She's a very good driver. I'll, I'll kind of praise her for that. But um, Lily was driving. I was in the passenger seat. Cademan was in the back seat. We were on Murdoch uh, heading east right to the traffic circle there at Jackson. And Cademan looks out the window and goes, look, there's a drone. And Lily starts to turn. And I said, no, Lily, don't look, <laughs> right? Don't take your eyes off of where you're going, especially when you're just learning how to drive, right? Don't get distracted. Don't get pulled away from your reference point. You're about to go into a traffic circle that many adults can't even navigate through, right? Who have been driving for their whole lives. You need to keep your eyes on the road and you need to pay attention here. Don't get distracted. Don't take your eyes and your mind off of what's right in front of you. That was Martha's first problem. <clears throat> her other problem, which is very evident here, was her attitude. This is expressed here in two ways. First, it's expressed in her physical posture, which is in direct contrast to Mary. Again, Mary is still, she is sitting at the feet of Jesus, and Martha, it says, Martha comes, uh, she went up to him, okay, in verse 40, and she went up to him. And this word here actually carries like some more weight to it than just like, just went up to him. It actually means to suddenly approach someone and to stand near them. It's like a confrontation type approach to someone. So Martha comes up to him, if we want to translate this into our slang today, which you can say Martha got up in Jesus' grill, right? She got right up in his grill, and we see this difference between Mary's posture and Martha's posture right here. So it wasn't just, though, only her physical posture that was the problem with her attitude, but her heart posture that came out of her mouth. Look at what she says in verse 40. Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? 
Tell her then to help me. She's accusatory and demanding. This tell her here, tell her what she says, it's an imperative. She's commanding Jesus. She's demanding him. So it's time for Jesus to put Martha in her place, right? Think of all the ways that he could have responded. I'm not getting in the middle of your sibling rivalry, right? Or why don't you go tell her yourself? But Jesus sees through the facade, and he loves Martha. He is gentle with her. He speaks right into her distracted state, and he exposes her heart idolatry so that he can point her to a better way. Martha, Martha. He disarms her hostility by repeating her name. Martha, Martha. You are anxious and troubled about many things. Have you ever had this happen in your life where someone totally exposes you, exposes the state of your heart, and you know you're busted? Like, yeah, you're right, you got me, right? Telling you you're anxious or distracted or whatever it might be. The difference, though, is that here, Jesus knows Martha's heart perfectly. And his analysis of her heart is not skewed by things that our analysis of other people might be skewed by. Even if it's accurate, it's still skewed, right? I don't want us to miss this point here. Jesus loves Martha, and Martha loves Jesus. Martha's not the bad person in this story, okay? She's not some enemy of Jesus who is out to get him. He's not speaking to her as he speaks to and rebukes those religious leaders who disbelieve in him and are opposed to him. Go read John chapter 11. Read Martha's confession about who Jesus is. Read what she's saying in the account of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. It's a fantastic confession of who Jesus is. But Jesus here is concerned with her heart, and he is seeking to lovingly correct her and to point her in the right direction. Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. One thing is necessary. Philip Ryken again says, while Martha was preparing one meal, Mary was having another, better one. She was feeding on the living word. Which brings me back to my simplified statement from Ryken that summarizes the main point that we are to take away from this. Doing Martha's work with Mary's heart. The message here is clearly not that service is bad. But the question is, what is fueling our service of the Lord? How can we do Martha's work with Mary's heart? Charles Spurgeon says, It is not an easy thing to maintain the balance of our spiritual life. No one can be spiritually healthy who does not meditate 
and commune. No man, on the other hand, is as he should be unless he is active and diligent in holy service. But, he says, we must not be so active as to neglect communion, nor so contemplative as to become unpractical. Maintaining this balance in our Christian lives can be one of the biggest challenges that we face. And as I said earlier, we should feel this tension, right? This is good that we feel this tension. I had a couple great opportunities this week to talk through this passage uh, with a couple different groups of men. On Tuesday morning at uh, our house, we hosted a group of other pastors from around uh, the state in, in our denomination. Uh, we have a thing every other month where we get together called the Healthy Pastors Network and just talk through different life things and ministry things. We pray for each other. Um, but we looked at this and we, we talked about, I was like, hey guys, I need, you know, help me out here with the, the sermon for Sunday, right? Give me, some, give me some, uh, some topics to talk about. But we talked about this just as pastors. We said, you know, how, first of all, how does this passage relate to us as, as disciples of Jesus, as individual Christians? Like, we don't, I can't just come to this passage and be like, oh, I'm too busy as a pastor or whatever. I need to come at this. All of us need to come at this as individual Christians. So we talked about that. And then we talked about the challenges of ministry. How do we minister with a Martha's heart with, how do we minister doing Martha's work with Mary's heart? That can get very difficult, especially again, in a very achievement oriented culture where results are, seem to be everything. That can be a really big challenge. So we had a fantastic talk, uh, talking through those things. Tuesday evening then with our officer training Zoom call, uh, got to run this passage by some of the brothers, and that was really helpful. And again, I think a common theme that just came out in all of those discussions was that maintaining this balance is really hard. Uh, serving out of an overflow of our walks with God is so necessary to everything that we do. Having a word-driven, spirit-filled, Jesus-saturated life really does make all the difference. And we see that in a very amazing encounter in the book of Acts. And I'm thankful to Pastor Chad Bodwin from All Saints Church in Green Bay, who pointed this out to me at our Healthy Pastors Network. Uh, so if you turn with me to Acts chapter 4, passage that most of us are probably pretty familiar with. <clears throat> in the first four verses, it's explaining how uh, James and John have been teaching and preaching the people in Jesus' name. They've been proclaiming the resurrection from the dead. Then they get arrested uh, because of their activity. And let's pick it up in verse 5. Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 5. And I will be reading down through verse 21. Uh, I might stop and make a comment in the middle here. Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 5. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were, in, who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name do you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, 
let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. They recognized that they had been with Jesus. This is them doing the Martha work with the merry heart, right? They're busy here. They're active. They're preaching and teaching and healing. But their opponents recognized that they had been with Jesus. They had taken the time to sit at his feet. They didn't just say, wow, look at these guys. They must really believe this because they're just out there doing all this stuff. I mean, what did they see in them that they recognized that they had been with Jesus? That they're out just fighting and trying to get their way and having arguments? I don't think so. They saw the humility. They saw the grace. They saw the forgiveness. They saw the Christ-likeness displayed in them as they're getting arrested, right, and having these encounters. They saw that they had been with Jesus Verse 14, but seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, what shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, saying, We are just humble disciples of Jesus, therefore we will bow down and do whatever you tell us to do. No! Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Don't read that verse and not remember verse 13. They recognized that they had been with Jesus. That gave them the boldness to say what they said in verse 19 and 20. Verse 21, when they had further threatened them, They let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. What does doing Martha's work with Mary's heart look like? For Peter and John and the disciples, it was being willing to face whatever consequences would come their way. What about for us? I know there are lots of Christians right now who are anxious and troubled about the election. 
anxious and troubled about what they see, the direction of our country, the future of this nation, where they see things going, and on and on and on, right? Anxious and troubled about many things. But what changes for us, ultimately, no matter what direction things go? Does anything change for us as the people of God? We need to get in this Acts 4 mindset, guys. This is so important. We need to be able to go out there and for people to say, wow, these people have been with Jesus. And then if we need to stand up to whatever it is, that we can do it because we've been with Jesus, right? And we're not just out there trying to fight and to get our way and to keep some Christian power over our culture or whatever it is. God is still on his throne and he's going to be on his throne no matter what at the end of next week and the week after that and the week after that. We are still servants of the King of Kings no matter how things shake out. And we still get the privilege of sitting at his feet and listening to his word. We get to choose the good portion and that will not be taken away from us. Let us remember that, brothers and sisters. Let us live out this reality as we go out from here. Let us pray. Father, help us to truly be still and know that you are God. Help us to sit at the feet of the master and to listen to his word. God, not just a checklist to say, I did my quiet time today, I'm good. But to be a disciple with both the physical posture and the heart posture that sits at the feet of Jesus, that seeks to learn, that seeks to grow, and that seeks to get up after sitting at his feet and to go out and to do good, to serve our neighbors, to love our enemies and pray for them. God, to be salt and light in this world. And God, I pray that of all people, especially in these next weeks and months, as as things seem like they're just getting crazier and crazier and more tense and more divided, God, would your people be the ones who are the most calm and the most collected because we're filled with your spirit, because our hope is in you, because we're not shaken by whatever goes on out there. God, help us to do Martha's work with Mary's heart. Help us to know and love and serve you and know and love and serve others out of an overflow of what you have done, of your grace in our lives. May we be spirit-filled. May we be people, when others see us, they recognize that we've been with Jesus. Not for our own praise and our own glory, but all for yours. We pray In Jesus' name, amen.